we're going to do an interesting survey because if the holy days and the Sabbath were done away, the Gospels would not have Christ going into the synagogue on the Sabbath. And this is what's important. Let's come to verse 16, Matthew 5. One of the very first things that Christ made clear. Actually, verse 17. He says, Do not think. Now, what happens when someone says, Don't think? <laughs> and they won't think the opposite. Right? Okay. And in the Greek... These are double negatives. Okay? Meaning, absolutely. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And fulfill does not mean to do it, to make it of no value. It means to complete it, to make it of greater value. Okay? For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth shall pass away. So if you're talking to a Protestant, ask him, well, um, what are we standing on? What are we breathing? Heaven and earth, they're still here. They haven't passed away. Notice, one jotter, one tittle, shall in no way. There's a double negative. Don't think it, it's not going to be a reality. Neither one. No way pass from the law until everything has been fulfilled. Okay. Therefore, whoever shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, you know, you won't hear this on TBN or in any Sunday keeping church either. Okay. Shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever shall practice and teach them that one shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So think about it. Because we're up against that. So then, he says, verse 20, For I say to you, unless your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, there is no way, double negative again, that you shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now think about that. Okay. What is the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? Not the laws and commandments of God, but their own traditions, which they hold in higher esteem than they do the laws and commandments of God. And one of the leading rabbis told Roy Asante, when Roy said, well, if you would not keep your traditions, you would be just like us because we keep the commandments. He said, oh, if we didn't have our tradition, we'd have nothing at all. Now then, same thing applies to Catholics, same thing applies to Protestants. You have your traditions, you have your laws, okay? not of God. Now then, down here a little later on, verse 21. You have heard that it was said, 
to those in ancient times, you shall not commit murder, but whosoever commits murder shall be subject to the judgment. Okay. Now let's take and apply this very interestingly to the Sabbath in just a minute. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother without a cause shall be subject to judgment. Now, you have heard it said, whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be subject to the judgment of the council. But I say to you, whoever will say, you fool, shall be subject to the fire of Gehenna. Okay. Now then, that's pretty strong. So question. Since Jesus said he's Lord of the Sabbath, what would have to happen with the Sabbath and the Holy Days? We would have to have a command just exactly like he said there in Matthew 5. You have heard it said in ancient times that you shall remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. But I tell you, you shall keep Sunday because I came to change it. Now, the only reason that he would have to do it is because no man can change what God has commanded. No man. God can change what he's commanded. So if God changed it from the seventh day to the first day, you would have to find in the New Testament, and I'll pay anyone $10 million, because I'll all never have to pay it, because it's not there. This commandment would have to be, you've heard it said in ancient times, you should remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. But I say to you, I came to change the law and change it to Sunday. And you have heard it said in ancient times, you shall keep the holy days of God. But I say to you, I came to abolish those and replace them with the pagan holidays of Satan the devil. That's what he would have to say. So all of the fake Christians out there and their pastors and their priests are in violation, walking in sin, rejecting the commandments of God. Okay, Mark 2, verse 27. He said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, which means man cannot tell God that he's changing the Sabbath from the seventh day to the first day because it's more convenient for people. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Who is the Son of Man? Jesus Christ. Who is Lord of the Sabbath? Jesus Christ. And he is the Lord of Passover and all the holy days. And in those and the meaning of them, all the understanding of God's purpose and plan is gradually unfolded to us so we have understanding. But how many are willing to do that? All right. Now, let's come to John. We will see the Gospel of John has three Passover seasons. We find the fourth one in Luke, the sixth chapter. And we find a great fulfillment 
of Pentecost. So we'll look at it. Also, the Gospel of John tells us more about God the Father, coupled with 1st, 2nd, 3rd John the Epistles, than all of the other parts of the Bible put together. And John, as I've said many times, I'll say again, was the one that Jesus loved. Furthermore, John was a descendant of the priests. And furthermore, so important was John that he was the only one to receive the revelation of Jesus Christ contained in the book of Revelation which came from God the Father. No one else. One other thing about John. Because he was of the priestly family. In Revelation 4, he hears a trumpet and says, come up here, and he comes up and sees the throne of the Father. Only man to ever do that. Only man. So everything that's written in the book of John, his gospel and his three epistles, are absolutely essential for understanding what do we do, what days do we keep, and how do we develop the love of God. John, the second chapter. Now, this all took place after he had had his temptation in the wilderness with Satan, the devil, and recuperated. Okay? Verse 14. Verse 13, rather. Now, the Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, why did John write it, the Passover of the Jews? Because during the days of Jesus, the majority of people kept the 14th Passover, which was on the 14th day of the first month. The priest, as it's recorded in John 19, they kept the wrong day, calling it Passover, on the 15th. Now, we got a book, the Passover. Big, thick book. Answers every argument. So if you don't have it, write for it. Okay. And he was writing this so that it was going to go out to all of the Gentiles. So he explained it that way. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he went into the temple. Now here's a fulfillment of the scripture. Can you think of it? Fulfillment of the scripture. A particular one by the last prophet, who was Malachi. You know what that is? The Lord shall suddenly come to his temple. Let's read it. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and money exchangers sitting there. Now, money exchangers was this. The Jews in the Diaspora would come from whatever country they were in, and the local currency they had, they could not use at the temple because they were living in Gentile land, 
and it was technically unclean, but quite clean enough for the money exchangers to get it. Okay. So, in order to buy his sacrifice, they would first have to go to the money exchangers and receive temple coin, and then buy the sacrifice. Okay. But they were all cheating and so forth. Okay. Notice what Jesus did. This is his sudden appearance. And after making a scourge of cords, he drove them all out of the temple, not just scare them and chase them away, with both the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money exchangers and overturning the tables. And to those who were selling doves, he said to them, Take these things out of here. That was to be done outside the confines of the temple area. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Very important for all ministers and Protestants. You merchandise the people like crazy. Those who are faithful will pay their tithes and offerings. You don't have to beat them over the head. And if someone is not wanting to give it, beating them over the head, they will give with resentment. So, good lesson. Don't do it. Okay. So on this Passover, cleaned it up, and also he was there. They didn't understand why he's doing it. He said, by what authority do you do this? He didn't tell him. He also did it before his last Passover. Okay. Quite a thing. He said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. They said, well, it was 46 years in being built. Verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast. So you have the Passover and the feast. Passover is one day like we read Leviticus 23. Feast of Unleavened Bread is seven days. Many believed on his name as they observed the miracles that he was doing, healing the sick, healing the blind, uh, restoring uh, people who are lame and all of that sort of thing. But notice verse 24. But Jesus did not entrust himself to them. Now, when they thought that he was that prophet, we'll see in a little bit, they wanted to take and make him king. And he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. What is in man? Carnal nature. What is that like? Jeremiah 17. You can read it. Okay? So there we have this. Then we have Chapter 4, okay? He's on his way back to Galilee. And on his way back to Galilee, I won't go into the woman at the well. If you want to know about the woman at the well, go to the latest church at home, and I go through and explain it, that God is looking for those to worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay? Verse 33, 
when Jesus didn't want to eat what they brought, his disciples didn't know what to think, so he said to his disciples, and they said to one another, did anyone give him something to eat? Then he said to them, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Okay, Very interesting. Then he said this. Now here's an allusion to Pentecost and the harvest. Do not say there are yet four months and then the harvest comes. I say to you, look around. Lift up your eyes and see the fields. So this is very important. For they are already white to harvest. Now put into your notes Matthew 13 about the sowing of the seed and the harvest and all of that. And the harvest represents the resurrection at the end of the age on Pentecost. Okay? And gathers fruit unto eternal life, so that the one who is sowing and the one who is reaping may both rejoice. For in this saying is true that one sows and another reaps. Then he gave them something very important to really understand, because there's all of the law and the prophets up to Christ. God was preparing everything for the ministry of Christ. And God was making it so that Jesus would choose the twelve disciples to become the twelve apostles. So there's a lot going on here. And the coming of Christ the first time, we have all the prophecies from the prophets and the promises to Abraham. Okay. So he says this, I sent you to reap that in which you did not labor. You have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Now that's very important for us today. We have the word of God because of the labor of all of those honest and faithful preservers of the words of Christ. Okay. Now I have at home a literal book that is 490 years old. No, 480. Okay. Stephen's 1550. New Testament Greek. And I can tell you from that, the Greek which we translated for the New Testament here is exactly the same there as it is in the received text. Exactly. God is faithful, will preserve his word. And look at all the laborers that were before us. Look at all of those, uh, like in the church in the Piedmonts, which is ended up being called the Waldensians. And they went into Europe evangelizing. Now, little addition to that, just to show that today we need to look at what other people have done and God has used. So it's possible for us. Okay? Now look at all the things we're using technologically. Other people made it. We're using what they made. Fantastic thing. Now, a little sidebar. John Gunther, who is doing historical work of the Church of God, 
has discovered that in the first 300 years after Christ, there were times when in the British Isles, they were keeping the Passover, the Sabbath, and the commandments of God, and he's got the documentation. Amazing. Okay. Quite different from what we first heard. You've been in the church a long time. What was one of the first things you heard? The gospel was not preached in 18 and a half centuries. Not true. There was a big work in Britain. A big work in Europe. A big work in the mountains of Piedmont. Okay. When the Catholic Church sought to crush it, the Protestant Reformation came out of that. Okay. Unfortunately, they didn't follow William Tyndale's admonition that we were to keep the commandments of God from the bottom ground of our heart. How many of you read any of the things of William Tyndale? Amazing. Amazing man. Okay. So here it is. The harvest is white leading up to Pentecost. Now hold your place here and we'll come back and come to Luke, the fourth chapter. And if you don't have a harmony, okay, here it is. Right here. Right for it, we'll send it to you, no cost. Okay. This is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all synchronized with pictures and commentary. Tell you about the life of Jesus Christ and everything. It's something that will really help you. Okay? And this is the third edition in its third printing. Luke 4. Let's see what happened to Jesus next. Which then is on the Holy Day of Pentecost. Okay. How do we know? Luke 4, verse 16. Now, in the translation, it doesn't show it quite as well as in the Greek. So there's a footnote in the faithful version. Okay. And he came to Nazareth. Now, he was up there in Samaria. Now, he comes down to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and according to his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And Pentecost is a Sabbath day. But this in the Greek is on the day of the Sabbath, plural. Plural mean the seven Sabbaths of the seven weeks to Pentecost. Okay. And stood up for to read. And there was given to him a book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had unrolled the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Question. On what day did God send the Holy Spirit? Pentecost. Right? See how all that ties in? For this reason he has anointed me. I want you to emphasize me. To preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal those who are brokenhearted. 
who proclaim pardon to those uh, to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind and send forth in deliverance those who have been crushed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, which is the first year of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Quite an amazing thing. Now, all of this is in the New Testament. Now then, let's come back to the book of John. Chapter 6. And here again, it talks about Passover and very important detailed instruction about the meaning of Passover. Chapter 6, verse 4. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Okay? So what did he do? He fed the thousands. All right? John 6, verse 27. Do not labor for food that perishes, but for the food that endures unto eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give you for him has God the Father sealed. Then they said to him, Now, this is always true of carnal people. They want to do what is good to gain favor with God. God wants first repentance and doing his commandments. So they asked Jesus, What shall we do in order that we ourselves might do the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent, and that's himself. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform that we may see and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread to eat that came down from heaven. Okay, So they were quoting scripture. They do that. Now, this sounds a little bit like the, not quite, but something all politicians would like, right? That they would have the key to have bread come down and feed all of their constituents, and they would always have a unified vote. They could never be voted out. I think of that every time I read it. Verse 32. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Now he's talking, and we will see, about himself. And the symbolism of what the Passover would mean with the bread and with the wine. But of course, the Jews here wouldn't understand it. So verse 33, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Therefore they said to him, Lord, give this bread to us always. Then Jesus answered. He said, I am the bread of life, and the one who comes to me shall never hunger, and the one who believes in me shall never thirst. And he was talking on a spiritual level about himself who was to become 
the Passover lamb of God. But I say to you, you have also seen me, but do not believe. All whom the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I shall in no way cast out. Okay? But notice verse 38. Even Christ. Think about how important this is because he had to have human nature. For I did not, verse 38, come down from heaven to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now that's quite a statement. And the whole thing about the Sabbath and the holy days is the will of God and how we are to live. Okay? For this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all whom he has given me, I should not lose any, but should raise them up at the last day. Well, the last day for those that are converted is not the last day of the feast, but the last day, meaning Pentecost, okay? which is the 50th day and the last day of the count of 50 days. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And he says, verse 41, I, the Jews were complaining that he said, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. All right? Then he goes through and explains that everything concerning salvation which depends on the Passover, that last Passover that Jesus took, and his crucifixion. And then he summarizes it here, beginning in verse 53. Therefore Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless, that means if you do not, eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. And, of course, the Jews said, how's he going to do that? The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up the last day. Okay. For my flesh is truly food, and my blood is truly drink. Now, this shows the complete dedication that God has to us and our dedication back to him, both. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood is dwelling in me and I in him. Now here's the key. Verse 57. Now think about all the things that we read up to this point. Okay. Verse 57. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so also the one who eats me shall live by me. Quite a thing, okay? Complete dedication to God. That's the explanation of the Passover where he said that the bread and the wine do this in the remembrance of me. All right? Now then, chapter 7. We have the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus went up there secretly because they knew they were looking for him. But what did he do? His brothers came to him and said, uh, why don't you go up to the feast because no man does what you're doing unless he wants to be seen by others. And Jesus said, no, 
I won't go up at this time, but you go up. Now, if, think about this. If the holy days were to be done away, he would have said, well, you don't need to go up because they're all going to be done away. Stick around. Okay? No, he didn't do that. But he went up secretly. Now, how would he go up secretly? Just change his form a little bit, like he did with the two going to Emmaus. Remember that? After the resurrection. No one would recognize him. Then in the middle of the feast, he gets up and starts preaching and teaching again. Okay? So Jesus kept the Passover, kept Feast of Unleavened Bread, kept the Feast of Pentecost, kept the Feast of Tabernacles, and the last great day. So let's come down here. Verse 37. Now the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and called out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, which those who believed on him would soon receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay? Now then, you take these words right here and analyze. Anyone. That means anyone. Period. And the reason it's for the last day is because it shows in Revelation 20 that there is a second resurrection. And that's when they will have the opportunity. See, in the world, there are those, there are three categories of people. Number one, those who belong to Christ, who love God the Father of Jesus Christ, keep the commandments of Sabbath and Holy Day. Two, the people in the world who are out there that are blinded because they have not been given the calling, so their minds have not been opened, and they live decent lives. And they are not committing the unpardonable sin. The third category is those who commit the unpardonable sin. And that will be those who reject God the Father and Jesus Christ by being complete Satan worshipers today. And when they're resurrected, refuse to repent. They will go into the lake of fire. Okay. But all the rest, they'll have an opportunity. They're first. Everyone gets a first opportunity. So you have to wait for the message on the last great day. Okay. Then we come, then we come to the next Passover here. John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are all the most important words of the new covenant. 
the very words of Christ, bringing you in love with him and the Father. And for you to know that God has personally chosen you. That's so great. Think about it. He's not calling the rich. He's not calling the wise. He's not calling the famous. He's calling us. Okay? So that we can love him and do the things that he wants. So, let's come back here to Mark 14. Verse 17. After the disciples went and prepared. Now this is interesting. Little background on why it was done this way. Who is the one to betray Jesus? Judah, right? He was looking for an opportune time to betray him. So this is why Jesus didn't tell the disciples where they were going to have the Passover. Because he didn't want Judas to know. So he sent Peter and John and said, you go into the city and follow a man carrying a pitcher into whatever house he goes in. Go in there and tell the master of the house. The teacher says, I want to keep the Passover with my disciples. Judas could not betray him during the Passover service. So they had the Passover service, and then Judas was given the sop. And he left. Okay? That first the foot washing, and then they had what we're going to read here in Mark 14. Verse 17, Mark 14. Now after evening had come, he came with the twelve. And as they sat and were eating, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you shall betray me, even he who's eating with me. So Judas was right there for the start. He couldn't go beforehand and say, Hey, I know where he's keeping the Passover. You can get him over here. And he began to be extremely sad and said to them, One who's betraying, They said, Is it I? And another, Is it I? But he, Jesus, answered and said to them, The one who is dipping a morsel into the dish with me, he is the one of you twelve. And the Son of Man indeed goes just as it has been written of him. Which means all, all of the scriptures concerning his crucifixion. Everyone that Jesus is the Lord God of the Old Testament inspired the prophets and David and the different ones to write. And especially Isaiah about the crucifixion. And David about the very words of Christ while he was on the cross, as it was written, okay, of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, Jesus broke bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body symbolic of his body. Our conversion with the Spirit of God 
the Father and Christ in us is so intimate with God that the covenant is based upon the very sacrifice of Christ. Now, you can't eat that sacrifice, but the symbolism of it, as we read, is that you're going to live by Christ. And the bread pictures what? Every word of God. Because Jesus was called the Word. And he was the Lord God of the Old Testament. So all of those things come together. And he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood, the covenant, the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many, the sins of the whole world. But each one, individually. Okay? There has to be the shedding of blood before a covenant can be enacted. Okay? A covenant is never valid until both parties have given the sacrifice. Christ gave his. Ours is baptism. Both signifying death and life. When you're buried under the water, you're burying your old self. That is your sacrifice because you tell God, I will be faithful to the end. Therefore, you're joined to the sacrifice of Christ. So that's the symbolic meaning and fulfilling in our life because God sends his spirit to dwell in us. That's what's so absolutely amazing and just astonishing that the great sovereign of the universe would do that with his people. That is so great. Okay? We'll see that in a minute. Of the new covenant. Then he said, truly, I say to you, I will not drink again at all of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when will that be? We will all drink it. Where? Wedding supper of the Lamb, right? Wonder what it's going to be like to eat spiritual food, spiritual wine. Wonder what it's going to be like to be dressed with spiritual clothes. I mean, what God is, has done and is doing is fantastic. So you see, when you, let's come back here to John 14. When you look at all of these scriptures and put them together, you see that every single one of the holy days marks an important aspect of the plan of God to carry out his purpose, to keep us informed, to keep us faithful to keep us trusting in him. And we'll see here in John 14, 
Why? Okay. John 14. Let's come here to verse 21. Okay. We know he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Okay. I wonder how the Protestants view that when they do away with the Sabbath and the Holy Day. I wonder how they can say that. Okay. Notice verse 21. Because this is really, as I covered, and I cover this a lot because it's so important, verse 21. The one who has my commandments and is keeping them. Present tense participle. Okay? That is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me shall be loved by my Father. So don't ever think you're not important. You're so important the Father loves you. Think on that. Okay? Especially in the times when we're coming now with all these difficult times that are around us. Okay? And I will love him. And I will manifest myself to him. Not by an apparition, but by opening your mind to the truth and calling you. Okay, so Judas, not Iscariot, didn't know how that would be, so he said, what is about to happen, you're revealed to us, but not to the world. It's done by love and obedience with God's Spirit. And here, verse 23, is the most important verse in the whole Bible for us in this life now, at this time. Okay. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, and of course, how are we to love God? With all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all of our strength. See? Now that's a full-time occupation, really, when you understand it. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Not look for a way around it. Not look for a way to sin and justify it as okay. okay. And my father will love him. He said that up here in verse 21. Okay. And we will come to him and make our abode or our dwelling place with him. Because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. Okay. And that's why. We need study every day. And we need prayer every day. And we need that connection with God spiritually every day so that we have our minds being constantly converted, led by the Holy Spirit of God, keeping the commandments of God, keeping the Sabbath and the Holy Day, which is what God created and made for us in which God does all the important things in his plan so that we can understand it. So here we are in the very last day. How much longer we have, we don't know. But we know one thing. Paul wrote that there will be perilous times, and we're seeing how that's sprouting out many, many different places. So this is why. 
it's important that we stay close to God. Okay? But all of this shows how important all the holy days of God are. Now we have coming up real quickly. 19th of September will be the Feast of Trumpets. Okay? Then after that, we have atonement. Then after that, we have tabernacles and the last great day. So wherever you are, even if the circumstances are that you're alone, God the Father and Christ are with you. You will have a great and a wonderful feast. So let's look forward to all the feasts of God. So brethren, remember how important the Sabbath and holy days are of God and that he has given us through his word and his spirit and his love and his grace, the understanding of his plan.